hello everybody. I'm Bob Frank and welcome to Blues You Should Know, the podcast about the blues. Our podcast today is called Eight String Blues and I have to confess, I've been excited about doing this particular program for a long time because Eight String Blues is about blues played on the mandolin. Now, I don't want to take anything for granted here. For a long time, I used to do music programs in schools for kids, and I'd be in the school, and I would take a mandolin out and show the folks and say, does anyone know what this is? And over half the time, no one in the school, including the teachers, principals, or any of the staff, had any idea what that was, so I want to explain. The mandolin is an instrument that plays in the same range as a violin. But instead of four strings like a violin, it has eight strings. The strings are tuned in fifths. From the top down, it's E-A-D-G. And the strings are doubled, two, a, two E's, two A's, two D's, two G's. The instrument is played with a flat pick instead of a bow like the violin. And it has frets where you place your left hand, where a violin does not have any frets. The mandolin has kind of the same origin as the violin. It's an Italian instrument. It's believed that Stradivarius himself made a number of mandolins, but the mandolin remained essentially unchanged until the beginning of the 20th century when the Gibson Company began making flat-backed mandolins. The early mandolins had round backs. They used to call them tater bugs, but the Gibson mandolins came out with the flat back and the instrument was louder and a little more bassy than the old-fashioned mandolins. We're going to begin way back in the old days with one of the early artists of the blues. This is Coley Jones, a Texan, who played out of Dallas, Texas, and he had a band called the Dallas String Band. He, he worked with different folks, and it's believed that at one time when he was young, T-Bone Walker worked with Coley Jones. But Coley Jones was really a great mandolin player. So we're going to play two pieces by him, the Hokum Blues, that, that begins with kind of a little comedy shtick there, and then we're going to hear him do a, a real blues called the Sugar Blues. So here is Coley Jones from the mid-1920s with Hokum Blues and Sugar Blues. Say, Coley, can you sing? No. Why? I lost my voice in jail. I'm always behind a few bars. You should never get a key. Look here, I see all you boys up here this morning. Yes. All y'all got the instruments? Yes. yes. Look here, suppose we all of them play something. All right. What we going to play? Play the open Thank you. 
say what you choose Oh, confused I got the sugar blues, babe I got the sugar blues So that was Coley Jones and his group, the Dallas String Band. The next artist we're going to take a listen to is uh, probably a little bit more well-known, Yank Rochelle. I've seen the, I've heard the name pronounced Yank Ratchel, but the people who knew him called him Yank Rochelle. Yank was born in 1910 around Brownsville, Tennessee, and he became part of what they called the Brownsville Gang, or the people who hung around, performed, and recorded with Sleepy John Estes. Now, we did a program about Sleepy John Estes. I think it might have been the second or third program that I did. And we talked about Yank Rochelle a bit, but we're going to kind of give him the, uh, uh, the focus uh, on this program about mandolin. Yank Rochelle is playing on this early 1929 track uh, by Sleepy John Estes. It's one of John's more famous tune, Dive and Duck. So here is Sleepy John Estes doing Diving Duck with Yank Rochelle on mandolin. And I believe you can also hear a little bit of Jab Jones on the piano. Oh 
Sleepy John Estes, accompanied by Yank Rochelle, the Divin' Duck Blues. Now, this Brownsville gang was kind of a loose group of musicians who mainly hung around Sleepy John Estes, often performed and recorded with him. They included Sleepy, of course, Sun Bonds, Charlie Pickett, who was a guitar player, Hammy Nixon, the harmonica player, and Jab Jones, who played uh, sometimes the jug and sometimes the piano moved north, as so many musicians did after the war, but by 1958, he was living in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he eventually became kind of the blues elder statesman of Indianapolis. I know a lot of folks that got to play with him and knew him and spoke tremendously highly of him. He did quite a bit of recording, played festivals, toured, played overseas, and generally enjoyed himself as a musician until his death in 1997. Let's hear one more, a more modern track from Yank Rochelle. This is Dreamy-Eyed Woman Blues. All right. 
that bedtime hour Be resting on my mind You know what a woman like you A woman like you Be really hard to find That was Yank Rochelle with Dreamy-Eyed Woman Blues, a track from uh, the later part of his career. Yank's Rochelle sounds a little different than some of the other performers because he tuned down. Sleepy John Estes always liked to play in the key of E. E is a difficult key on the mandolin, so he would tune his strings down so he could play in the easier position, which would usually be G, but the way he tuned down, it it was in the key of E, so his mandolin always sounds a little bit lower pitched than the other musicians. Now, the next mandolinist that we're going to take up is one whom we've all already done a program on, and that's Charlie McCoy. You might remember we did a program called The McCoy Brothers and the Harlem Hamfats. The McCoy Brothers were part of the Harlem Hamfats. But Charlie McCoy, at, at least in whatever my opinion is worth, I think he may have been the finest all-around musician of the country blues era. He was a brilliant guitar player. He could play the violin, and he played. He was a, just a terrific, terrific mandolin player. Now, the tracks that we're going to hear, he's not exactly playing a mandolin. He's playing a mandolin banjo, which is a mandolin with, instead of a wooden body, it would have a round head like a banjo and have kind of a plunky sound. This makes for a louder instrument than a banjo or that, than a regular mandolin, but it also makes for an instrument that's a lot harder to play. I have one of these from the 20s. I have a banjo mandolin, and they are not easy to play, but Charlie McCoy makes it sound easy. Now, the last time we talked about Charlie McCoy, we played an instrumental, an absolutely brilliant instrumental called the Jackson Stomp. Well, we're not going to play it again because we already played it, but we will play another version on that theme. This is That Lonesome Train That Took My Baby Away. And the vocal, I believe, here is by Charlie's brother, Joe McCoy. Joe McCoy, as you remember, was a guitarist and was married for a while to Memphis Minnie. So they took their instrumental and they added some lyrics to it, and that's what we're going to be listening to. Now, this instrumental itself is derived from a piano piece by Cow Cow Davenport called the Cow Cow Blues. I'm going to play you just a little bit so you get an idea of how they changed it and turned it into a string band piece. Here's the original by Cow Cow Davenport, the Cow Cow Blues. Okay, now that's the original. 
So here is the McCoy Brothers version, that lonesome train that took my baby away. And you can hear how Charlie McCoy adopted the piano riffs to the mandolin. Brother Joe were part of a larger band called the Harlem Hamfats. Now, remember, we talked about the Harlem Hamfats in an earlier episode, but I don't want to hold you to that, so I'll give you a little bit of information about them. They were put together in 1936 by the producer Mayo Williams, whom we also did a program about. Mayo Williams was uh, a fascinating, fascinating character. He was one of the very first black record producers. He was also one of the very first black professional football players. Uh, He was an amazing individual. But Mayo Williams was a producer who decided to put together a group to play a fusion of country blues and 
contemporary jazz, contemporary for 1936. So he rounded up Charlie McCoy, his brother Kansas Joe McCoy, who wasn't from Kansas, Herb Moreland on trumpet, John Lindsay on the bass, Odell Rand on the clarinet, Horace Malcolm piano, and either Freddie Flynn or Pearlie Williams on the drums. This was the Harlem Hamfats. None of them were from Harlem. Their first record, Oh Red, was a big hit. Their biggest song was The Weed Smoker's Dream, which was picked up by Peggy Lee and turned into the song Why Don't You Do Right. Has nothing to do with Dudley Do Right. But we're going to hear a song that Charlie gets to play a pretty good solo on. It's called Growling Dog. It's an instrumental. So here are the Harlem Ham Fats from 1936 doing Growling Dog. can't help but think that it was a real shame that the Harlem Hamfats couldn't have lasted longer than 1939. I guess music was changing. Artists like uh, Louis Jordan were coming in and, well, just the general music scene in general was changing. And 
the Harlem Hamfets probably sounded dated and out of style. For me, though, that music will never be out of style. I said in the first program about them that when I first heard the Harlem Hamfats, it was like seeing the Marx Brothers for the first time. Just this wonderful organized chaos and anarchy and, and, and musical craziness. You can tell I'm crazy about this group. So welcome back to Blues You Should Know. I'm Bob Frank, the podcast that talks about people in the blues and tells some interesting stories, I hope. That's kind of what we're trying to do here. So we are done with the pre-war recordings for now. But I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to play a recording on the mandolin by Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass music. Why? Because Bill Monroe is probably the musician most associated with mandolin as a musical instrument. I think that's safe to say. Now, Monroe is known as the father of bluegrass, but in every interview with him I've ever read, he claims that he had two influences growing up as a boy in the mountains of western Kentucky near a small town called Rosine up by the Ohio River. Those influences were his uncle, Pendleton Vanderveer, who he called Uncle Penn. And if you know anything about bluegrass, you've probably heard the song Uncle Penn that Monroe wrote as a tribute to him. The other musician was an African-American blues singer named Arnold Schultz. We don't know very much about Arnold Schultz. There is one photograph of him, kind of a grainy photo. He never recorded. He didn't seem to have traveled. But he was a good musician, and Bill Monroe was, well, enchanted by him. Monroe often claimed that had he not gone ahead and invented bluegrass, he would have ended up a blues singer with a guitar. So his music always had a very, very bluesy edge to it. We're going to listen to a recording from 1961 called Bluegrass Part One. And it's really just kind of an improvisation over blues changes. A little while later, the record company re-released the same track as Bluegrass Twist as a kind of a lame attempt at capitalizing on the twist dance craze. So anyway, here it is. This is Bluegrass Part 1 by Bill Monroe. And just dig how bluesy it is. But you know what? Before we hear the track... I want to make sure that you pay attention to the sound of the instrument, Bill Monroe's instrument, because it's a little bit different than the other instruments. Most of the instruments that African-American blues players played before the war were cheap instruments. Sometimes they were even the old-fashioned bullback type of mandolin. Bill Monroe played a mandolin that is considered the greatest make, model, and year of all the mandolins of all time. It is a Gibson F5 made in July of 1923 and signed on the inside of its label by its designer, a man named Lloyd Lohr, who only worked for the Gibson Company for a few years, but he invented uh, some classic instruments that are quite valuable today. If you'd like to buy a mandolin like Bill Monroe's, a 1923 Lloyd Lohr Gibson F5, it'll set you back pretty well into six digits, probably somewhere around $200,000. So let's get right back to the tune. Here is Bluegrass Part 1, Bill Monroe and his 1923 F5 Gibson Mandolin. Bluegrass Part 1 
Well, now, folks, if that's not the blues, I don't know what is. That's Bill Monroe doing Bluegrass Part 1, about as bluesy as you can play a mandolin. I hope you paid some attention to the sound of that instrument, Bill Monroe's 1923 F5 mandolin. When Lloyd Lohr came out with his Master Model series of instruments in 1922, the top of the line was the F5 in the mandolin series. But he also made instruments to match the sound of other stringed instruments. For instance, there was a mandola, a a little bit louder, that played in the range of the viola. There was a mando cello, an even larger instrument, that played in the range of the cello. And there was even an instrument called the mando bass, which is very rare because it didn't sound very good and wasn't any easier to play than a regular string bass. Around the turn of the century, between 1800s and 1900, there was kind of a fad or a fashion of mandolin orchestras, groups that would play orchestrated pieces using the different types of mandolins, the mandolin, the mandola, the mandocello, and either the bass or the mando bass. These were very popular, and they were an accepted activity for ladies, and there weren't a lot of those back then. So there were quite a few of these groups around, but by 1922, when Lloyd Lohr launched what is considered today to be the ultimate in mandolin design, these groups had become somewhat out of fashion. So Gibson seems to have a way of coming out with they have a way of perfecting their instruments after the demand for them is over. They did the same thing with the banjo. They came out with the ultimate in in, uh, five-string banjo design after the big bands and orchestras stopped using banjos. Kind of bad business timing. Well, I'm Bob Frank. This is Blues You Should Know, and our program is Eight-String Blues, Blues on the Mandolin, and we're talking about the mandolin and the people that played them. And as I mentioned before, we're done with the pre-war recordings, and we're going to move on to some post-war recordings. Now, I couldn't cover the blues on the mandolin without talking about one of the more famous musicians who plays pretty good mandolin, and that is Rye Cooter, a Californian who has uh, made kind of a lifelong reputation out of creating music out of earlier forms, blues, calypso music, various types of African music, Polynesian music, all kinds of things he's tried his hand at. Here is one of the tracks from one of his earlier recordings. It's a song called Billy the Kid. And I think he starts out on solo mandolin and then double tracks some guitar and some other instruments as he goes along. Cooter played an older F4 mandolin, a model a little bit down from Bill Monroe's. It had a shorter neck, so it didn't have that deep thunk to it, but it's still a great sounding mandolin. So let's hear Rye Cooter with Billy the Kid. Oh 
young lad in old Silver City. He went to the bed way out west with a knife in his hand. At the age of 12 years, he killed his first man. Folks, we have reached the end of part one of Blues You Should Know, H-String Blues, Blues on the Mandolin. In part two, we're going to listen to more post-war recordings and some contemporary recordings as well. And we will even have an interview. We've never done that on this show before. But we will have an interview with the man who is probably the lead torchbearer for blues mandolin these days. And that is Rich Del Grosso. So we're going to be hearing from Johnny Young, we'll be hearing from Rich, and we'll be hearing some treats too. I'll tell you, I've got a a little bit of a surprise planned for you. So this has been Blues You Should Know, part one of a two-part series called Eight String Blues, Blues on the Mandolin, and we're going to take things home with Ry Cooter doing Going to Brownsville. Thanks for joining us. Give us a good comment or a, a, 
a like or something like that, whatever it says on your podcast platform, we'd appreciate it very much. I'm Bob Frank. See you next time for Eight String Blues Part 2. Stop walking.